0: a big lie. In late December 2019, Dr. Li Wenliang was a medical professional pressed into service against a mysterious new malady in Wuhan, China. There was a virus spreading across the city, and the hospital emergency rooms were packed with sick and dying patients. To better protect doctors, nurses, and obviously the patients, Dr. Li told his colleagues on a private social media post that, quote, The latest news is that it has been confirmed that they are coronavirus infections. Within three days, Communist Chinese Party officials had him detained and forced to sign an apology for, quote, publishing untrue statements. Within one month, Li Wangliang was dead. He was one of the first waves of tens of millions of people killed either by the COVID virus directly or indirectly from delayed hospital operations, social conditions or suicide. The cause of this epidemic was, in all probability, an industrial accident from a nearby research laboratory. But to make sure that the world did not know that, the communist Chinese officials heightened this campaign of disinformation that had targeted Dr. Li from the laboratories and hospitals of Wuhan, to the halls and offices of the World Health Organization, to international film festivals. The communist Chinese regime has set up an aggressive campaign to stop any discussion that the epidemic was caused by a near criminal level of malfunction at their laboratories. Welcome to Crime Waves and our special series, The Slow Motion Chernobyl. We keep the people from undermining the fruits of their own labor, and our faith in socialism will always be rewarded. We seal off the city, no one leaves, and cut the phone lines, contain the spread of misinformation. Yes, comrades, we will all be rewarded for what we do here tonight. That's the dialogue from a scene in that superb HBO series Chernobyl. The meeting was held deep in the bowels of the nearby Communist Party headquarters as the local nuclear power plant is exploding into flames. Now, to be clear, this was a fictional scene, but it encapsulated that original Soviet attitude to the accident. The main concern of the local officials was not evacuation or protecting children, but making sure that any news was silenced. Now, that eventually became impossible the Chernobyl industrial accident produced a massive cloud of black smoke and radioactive toxicity that was detected thousands of miles away. However, a lab leak from a research laboratory can be utterly unnoticed. A cleaner does not wash their hands quite as thoroughly as they're supposed to, and you have a worldwide epidemic that kills millions of people. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Crime Waves. I'm Declan Hill, an Associate Professor of Investigations at the University of New Haven. In each episode, myself and my students, and today it's the brilliant Alexia Miller, we bring you some of the world's best investigators. And today we're bringing you the story of our time. It's a possible contender for the true crime of the century. In February 2022, when we're doing this broadcast, the balance of probabilities is very clear. The COVID epidemic responsible, according to the Economist Intelligence Union, Unit in London, for tens of millions of deaths is the result of the largest industrial accident in the history of humanity. Now, two quick notes before we get started. You'll notice that throughout the series, we're speaking of the communist Chinese, and we do this for accuracy. We're not having a dig at Chinese culture or history. The government and officials of current China are all part of a system of Marxist Leninism. You'll also hear in the series about the Taiwanese. They're the democratic opponents to the communist system. You'll also hear about many individual Chinese who have shown extraordinary bravery in the face of an appalling epidemic and a brutal political system. Two. Uh, this is obviously a massive political story here in the United States. Almost any discussion of COVID instantly falls into an argument about the merits of the former president or his public health aid or whether the current president is doing a good job or not. So if you're listening to this podcast outside America, there are probably similar acrimonious debates about your politicians. We want to avoid all those questions. In this episode, you're not going to hear any discussion about Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Fauci, Pelosi, Boris Johnson, Justin Trudeau. And we're not saying that those debates don't have merit. It's just the story that we are examining. This probable greatest industrial accident in the history of humanity is just too big to be sidetracked by partisan discussion. So what we at Crime Waves are presenting are just facts, controversial though they may be just an investigation into what the balance of probabilities indicates occurred there was some kind of slow motion chernobyl some form of industrial accident sometime in the summer of 2019 and a dangerous virulent virus leaked from one of the research laboratories in the city of wuhan as we saw in the first episode in the series there have always been research mishaps and accidents in laboratories around the world uh, in 2014, someone forgot vials of smallpox in a research center near Washington. In 2015, the U.S. military accidentally shipped live anthrax samples to nine American labs and a South Korean military base. In 2004, in Beijing, there was an accidental leak of a virus like COVID that infected dozens of people and killed one researcher. The leak came about because the lab was so overcrowded and so badly run that they kept a vial of the deadly virus in an unsecured fridge in the hallway. Now those shoddy conditions are typical in some Chinese medical laboratories. In other labs, the technicians have been known to sell the infected animals, the ones that they dosed with pathogens and viruses to local butchers. In one case, they made almost $1 million from doing this. In the specific Wuhan Research Laboratory, where the leak, in all probability, occurred, the new lab has a serious shortage of appropriately trained technicians and investigators needed to safely operate this high containment laboratory. Those aren't the words of Declan Hill and the crime wave producers. Those are the words of U.S. diplomats in January 2018, talking about The need to safely operate this high containment laboratory two years before the epidemic outbreak, when they visited the Wuhan labs and spoke to senior scientists who appealed for their help in training their own staff. And that's the same laboratory that was not certified by an international company for insurance upon its completion. It's also the same laboratory that in October 2019, two months before the world first became aware of the virus, that their deputy security official spoke about common problems and hidden dangers that they had discovered at the laboratory. And those may have been why there was a series of expensive contracts to renovate the cleaning, security and ventilation systems of the laboratory in the months leading up to the discovery of the epidemic. Some of the viruses at the laboratory were brought from bat caves, hundreds of miles away in the mountains of the Yunnan province of Southern China. Three miners had died in these caves from disease linked to bats. And the Wuhan researchers went to those caves and collected the bats, their feces and saliva. However, even in the collection of those potentially dangerous specimens, the Wuhan team showed extraordinarily lax standards collecting and dealing with potential death-bringing samples in animals, sometimes without masks or gloves. And the database of viruses that they compiled in their work at the laboratory was strangely removed from their website on September 2019. So that's a month after the contract for a brand new ventilation system was announced, and one month before the security official announced that there were common problems and hidden dangers at the lab. Now, to be fair, for balance, the believers of the theory that COVID occurred naturally in the wild say that all those incidents and others that we covered in the first episode are just an enormous chain of circumstantial events. They say that because diseases like Ebola, MERS, and SARS came from nature, thus so too must COVID. The problem for them is that while Those other epidemics did come from the intersection between nature and humanity, be it in the jungles of Liberia or the mountains of Yunnan. The first finding of COVID was on the city streets of Wuhan, hundreds of miles from nature, but only hundreds of yards from research laboratories where the scientists were researching COVID viruses. Now, the second claim of the defenders of a natural origin is that if such a discrete accident occurred at a laboratory, it must have been later covered up by a vast conspiracy that would necessarily involve tens of thousands of Communist Party officials and their supporters around the world. And such an enormous campaign is simply not possible. Well, um, actually it is. There has been a massive PR campaign of disinformation, the big lie. And it stretched from the streets of Wuhan to Chinese prison camp gulags to glamorous international film festivals to the meeting rooms of the World Health Organization itself. Now, before we examine this campaign of disinformation, we need a quick review to gain perspective as to who are the communist Chinese. In the annals of humanity, there have been a series of great killers. Uh, The Black Death, the bubonic plague in the 1340s, they killed an estimated one-third of all people living on the world at that time. For example, there are maps of just one county in England, Dorset, where the archaeologists estimate that over 60 so-called plague villages where they just ceased, they were either abandoned or everyone died in them. There's also the Mughals, you know, the, the kind of Dothraki people, the, the, the empire of Kubla and Genghis Khan, who mutilated and killed tens of millions of people to build an empire from basically Eastern Europe to Southern China on the ruins and bones of far more civilized people. And then there are the communist Chinese. And it's genuinely difficult to overstate what a bloodthirsty, deranged force they have been. Mozi Zedong, their first great leader, was a true abomination of a man. He led the killing of at least 30 million of his people. This was partly good old-fashioned massacring of his political opponents, you know, intellectuals, union leaders, priests, journalists, professors, academics, artists. Yet it didn't stop there. His his moon-crazed idea, the great leap forward between the years 1956 and 61, was an economic plan for the country that was so bizarre that somewhere between 30 and 95 million people died. And those numbers are so great that there are academic conferences where they argue over the uncertainty because the the estimations are greater than the Holocausts of Stalin and Hitler combined. Look, you remember those plague villages of rural England after the Black Death? Part of the problem is that the Mao-made famines were so great that entire provinces of China died off. So there are no records to examine. Some academics say, and this is a paraphrase of a complicated argument, well, there were X million people in this area in 1949, and there are no records existing after 1962. That means all of them died. And others are saying, yeah, a whole bunch of them died, but maybe a bunch of them ran away. That's how bad the Great Leap Forward was. But Mao wasn't finished with that catastrophe. He next launched the Cultural Revolution, where he – lives in a luxurious palace protected by units of the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, and his personal doctor would later write that he had syphilis so badly that pus ran out of his penis. But it didn't stop him from having a harem of 15-year-old girls. Meanwhile, China was out of control, and somewhere between one and five million people were killed in that cultural revolution for not showing sufficient loyalty to their great leader. There are two essential points about the historical situation which reflect on what we're seeing now. One, around Mao was a whole series of craven enablers, PLA generals, high Communist Party officials, who all connived and aided the brutality against their own people. It's their sons and daughters who now control the government of China, and they've not changed. Two, The people most often targeted by the communist Chinese for deliberate killing was anyone capable of independent critical thinking. Intellectuals, artists, academics, and most importantly in this context, scientists were taught very forcibly that there's only one correct way of thinking, and that was the communist party's way. Now, given this horrific system of terror, it's extraordinary that anyone would dare speak out about anything that the communist Chinese forbade them to do. But there's an archipelago of prison camps across modern-day China, and in them are millions of people, intellectuals, journalists, Falun Gong practitioners, peoples whose races are deemed inconvenient or not fully equal with Han Chinese. That's the Tibetans, the Uyghurs, and other ethnic groups. And there's a small group of whistleblowers, who revealed what was actually going on in Wuhan. And this is their story. It was a baffling high fever the medicines used throughout didn't work and his temperature didn't move we watched more and more patients come in as the radius of the spread of the infection became larger i knew there must be human to human transmission those are the words of dr ai fen head of emergency at the wuhan central hospital it was late december 2019 The COVID epidemic in Wuhan was beginning to overwhelm the medical system, but it was still going to be another six weeks before the World Health Organization would announce that there was a problem and 12 weeks before they would declare it a pandemic. As Dr. Ai and her team desperately fought against this mysterious disease, her medical tests of her patients were actually being censored. She revealed this in an extraordinarily open interview a few months later to a Chinese media outlet that the positive test results were sent to high party officials, but not to her or other frontline doctors. Then on January 1st, 2020, she was expressly censored because she had warned her colleagues that they were dealing with a SARS-like virus, not common pneumonia. And the communist Chinese party would continue to downplay possible human to human transmission for almost another three weeks While meanwhile, this virus rocketed around the world. And so begins an extraordinary tale of courage as doctors and citizen journalists sprang into action and began to report on the story in Wuhan that the official Communist Party media would not tell. In this next section, I'm gonna read their words directly. I'm gonna do that because I wanna honor their courage. I take these translations from the excellent book by the Australian journalist Shari Markson, What Really Happened in Wuhan. I can't recommend the book highly enough. Shari Markson, What Really Happened in Wuhan. Quote, why do I come here? My duty is as a reporter for citizens. As a reporter, if you don't dare to come to the front line at the first moment when there's a catastrophe, How can you be called a real reporter? Therefore, I took the last high speed train to Wuhan. That's Chen Shi, a lawyer turned journalist. His words are a good rebuke to my former colleagues at the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Indeed, to most of the quote, mainstream media from whatever side of the political spectrum, those journalists spent the next two years of COVID hiding behind the computer screens missing real journalism when their countries and their societies needed them most. This generation of journalists meekly accepted their roles as court-appointed stenographers. But in China, a citizen-turned journalist, Chen Quixi, formerly a lawyer, proved them wrong and showed what a real journalist does. Quote, if unfortunately I become infected, I will accept my fate. I'd rather die in the city than flee from Wuhan. The current outbreak is comparable to the SARS outbreak in 2003. In the two outbreaks, it is a cover up of the truth and the block of the information that leads to both of the outbreaks. We cannot make the same mistakes over and over again. At least we can allow the news and information to be spoken out and spread. If we spread the news and information faster than the virus does, then we can win this war. Now, note that what Chen Quixi was doing and saying at that time in Wuhan was in direct opposition to the World Health Organization. It was in direct opposition to the communist politicians in Wuhan. On January 18th, 2020, they actually had a massive banquet for 40,000 people to celebrate their achievements. Two days later, their city was about to go into a full epidemic lockdown and they hosted a super spreader event. Meanwhile, Chen Quixi visits Dr. Ai-Fen's Wuhan Central Hospital. He's wearing a paper mask and swimming goggles to protect himself against this unknown virus. There's vomit on the floor. Sick patients everywhere. Then he goes to the 11th hospital. It's the same scenes of chaos. There are screams that they're out of medicine. Patients are lying on stretches in the hallway. Chen Quixi, quote, Initially, I thought it was somebody lying there, receiving intravenous injection. Then I looked from the other side. I realized that the patient's face was covered by a white cloth without breath. That must be a corpse. He interviews a nurse quote, the entire hallway was stuffed with patients. Couldn't even move. Must've been more than a thousand patients. We were so nervous then that was great pressure. We were crying all the time during those days. For the next two weeks, Chen Quixi continues to report about the chaos and that the central government had screwed up their response to this disaster. Because remember, at that time, the Chinese Communist Party is claiming that only a few hundred people are ill, and they're still allowing international flights out of Wuhan despite an internal lockdown of the city, thereby spreading the disease around the world. But Chen Quixi's unfiltered videos are gaining audiences of millions. So the communist police step in and detain him. In one of his last videos, Chen Quixi says the following, and just a warning, he's gonna swear at this point, I'm gonna include it because I wanna show respect and honor to this journalist and this man. Quote, I'm scared. I have the virus in front of me. Behind me is China's law enforcement. If I'm still alive in this city, I will continue my reports. Fuck you. I'm not even scared of death. You think I'm scared of you, Chinese Communist Party? A few days later, Chen Quishi is disappeared by Chinese officials. In our next episode in the series, we're going to explore how many Western social media companies like LinkedIn and Facebook have joined the CCP in restricting debate about this issue of where COVID comes from. But if you want to follow Chen quishi or subscribe to those videos that he was doing in Wuhan on the ostensibly free speech bastion of YouTube, you're going to find difficulties because they've actually put up a wall that you have to log into to see his work. This from a man who's dragged off to a communist prison camp for revealing the true conditions of the Wuhan epidemic. Here's where it's getting even more extraordinary. Because unbelievably, someone comes to Wuhan to replace him. Not, sadly, a Western journalist. No, 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 no. They're too busy looking at their computer screens. But a Chinese journalist, a 25-year-old, Li Zhuo, resigns his on-air position on Beijing television, and he smuggles himself into Wuhan explicitly to take up where Chen Quishi left off. Remember, he knows what's happened to Chen Quishi at this point. He knows he's going into a city full of an epidemic. And that courage is extraordinary. His words, quote, Now all the bad news about the epidemic has been censored by the central government. The local media can only report good news. They don't want us to know what we want to know. This is why I'm here. I have to use my eyes and ears to catch information and make the judgment. Zhuo goes to funeral homes in Wuhan and discovers that the death toll is far higher than the official count. Quote, when I left the boiler in this funeral home seems to be still working. The boom is loud. It's 11 PM and the funeral home cremation are still working. Then Li Zhuo makes a mistake. He visits the Wuhan virus laboratory the one where the security official had spoken about common problems and hidden dangers. He only parks his car outside their front doors for a few minutes, but the police track him down to his hotel room. As they're outside his door, Joie live streams, quote, there's no chance to run away, and this is not what I plan to do. It would be absolutely false if I say I'm not scared now, but what does it matter whether I fear or not? If they want to get me arrested, they will do. Before coming here, I had expected I would eventually end up like him, Chen Quixi, but I didn't see that it would come so fast. Li Zhuo was arrested and then disappeared for six weeks. He's not spoken again publicly since his detention. There's also the case of Fang Bin, a local businessman who took his mobile phone to the hospital recording scenes of chaos. Quote, five, six, seven, eight, Eight bodies in five minutes, so many dead. Within days, Fang Bin was also arrested and he was also disappeared. Unlike Lujua, he's still not being accounted for. Fang Bin is either presumably dead or in some gulag prison camp. But his last words on his last video were a short note. Quote, let all citizens resist power to the people. In February 2022, we still don't know what happened to Fang Bin. We do know what is happening to another citizen journalist, Zhang Zhen. She came to Wuhan knowing what had happened to the other journalist and she continued to show the corruption and incompetence of the response by the authorities. For her reporting from Wuhan, Zhang Zhen was arrested and tortured for three months. She now weighs less than 90 pounds and her family does not expect her to survive this winter. The last time they say they saw her, her wrists were shackled and she was so weak. She could barely speak. Her crime, according to the communist officials, picking quarrels and provoking trouble. Similar charges were brought against Professor Zhu Jingyong who wrote an online essay attacking Premier Xi Jinping. You didn't authorize the truth to be released and the outbreak turned into a national disaster. Please step down. He was arrested, detained. Another professor, Zhu Zhangrun, wrote a similar essay calling for freedom of speech around national health emergencies. Quote, viral alarm when fury overcomes fear. He was fired from his job and placed under house arrest. Kai Wei, Chen Mei and Tang Ho Bo were also arrested, not for speaking out, but from trying to stop official amnesia. They tried to save documents from the internet that the Chinese Communist Party officials were deleting. Quote, it has been months since he was arrested, but we still don't know where he is. I'm worried about my parents and security and my family, my wife, my daughter, and me, our security, said Kai Wei's brother in 2021 to Shari Markson. His appeal to Westerners, Don't forget them. More and more people know about them, the more and more people call on the Chinese government to release them. Human rights organizations have estimated that over 5,000 people have been detained for speaking about the real conditions of the COVID epidemic in China. And all of them being arrested under spurious charges of things like spreading rumors, harming stability, picking quarrels, causing trouble. A few, Lucky ones like Chen Queling have, after months or years in detention, been released, and then they begin that Peng Shui dance. You know the female tennis star, who posted a couple of months ago that she'd been sexually assaulted by a senior Communist Party official. Within minutes, her post on social media was taken down, and she's now kind of trotted out in heavily restricted public appearances to reassure the West that all is well. But meanwhile. In Chinese media, she has virtually disappeared. The footage that these citizen journalists and others uh, filmed went into a brilliant documentary called "Coronation Wuhan." It was done by the Chinese equivalent to Banksy—you uh, know, the artist from Britain. His name is Ai Weiwei, and his documentary is superb. There's no narration; it's just direct, person-to-viewer speech of what it's like under COVID epidemic in communist China. You can see the incompetence. You can see the bewilderment of the regular people and their terror of the authorities. Now, you might think this would be one of the most important films of 2020, you know, the year of the pandemic, original footage from the literal ground zero of the place where COVID began. However, if you're an international film festival executive, you'd say that's wrong. According to the very exceptional Geneva International Film Festival and Ai Weiwei himself, Film festivals in New York, Colorado and Toronto all expressed interest in showing the film. Usual streaming services also expressed a strong interest. But when they heard the Communist Party of China would not like it, they dropped his film. Now this censorship of Hollywood and the film industry is another sign of our time. Even the hugely popular Marvel Comic Universe by Disney has changed characters and scripts. They've removed any mention of Tibet in their films, like Doctor Strange, so as not to upset the Chinese communists. In August 2020, the writers group Penn published a 70 page report made in Hollywood, censored by Beijing, the US film industry and Chinese government influence. They write, quote, This type of influence has become increasingly normalized in Hollywood. Hollywood is one of the world's most significant storytelling centers, a cinematic powerhouse whose movies are watched by millions across the globe. And yet the choices it makes about which stories to tell and how to tell them are increasingly influenced by an autocratic government with the world's most comprehensive system of state-imposed censorship. The free expression and the implications of this fact are significant and far-reaching. By influencing which stories Hollywood tells, the Chinese government can so influence and erase depictions of its human rights abuses. It can dampen movies call for change or encouragement of resistance in the face of oppression. And it can discourage or silence filmmakers interested in making movies that question or critique the Chinese government. Today, Hollywood enjoys a reputation as a place uncowed by Washington and one that's often willing to speak truth to American political power. This reputation contrasts strangely but silently with Hollywood's increased acceptance of the need to conform to Beijing films dictates. Goes on for another 69 pages with examples, with interviews of how the communist Chinese are getting into Hollywood for a quote report. It is absolutely page turning. At this point, a fair-minded listener like yourself can say, well, just a second, hang on, that's Hollywood. And everyone knows how corrupt the movie-making industry is. And those awful cases of people being detained for reporting of the disaster, that was the Communist Party response to the epidemic, but it doesn't actually speak to the cause of the epidemic. Li parked in front of the Wuhan lab and was arrested a few hours later, but that's not actually an insight into the laboratory or its conditions. Well, actually, there were a number of people in communist China who did speak out about the conditions inside the Wuhan virus research community. Here's one that appeared on Weibo, that's Chinese social media, at 1151 a.m. on February 17th, 2020. Quote, hello, everyone. My name is Chen Quanjiao, a researcher at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. My national ID number is 422 428 I hereby report that the virus was leaked by Wang Yanyi, director of the P4 Wuhan Institute of Virology. She has little knowledge of medicine. While at Beta University, which enrolls students only of high quality, other researchers did her research for her. She often sells animals used on experiments in the lab to game meat vendors in the South China seafood markets. She is the culprit of the epidemic and her husband has brothers, friends who have grown up playing with a certain deputy state level official. We must not forget Wang Yi. how many innocent people she has killed and the lives lost. As with the tennis star Pang Shui, that post was taken down within minutes. And an official rebuttal of the accusation was sent out by the Wuhan lab. But up to now, there's never been a television interview or, or any official independent interview or investigation by an outside researcher of Quen Guangzhou to get her side of the story. Now, that's interesting because that post had followed a series of other post-its from a purported biologist called Dr. Wu Zhihuao, who posted this on February 7th. Quote, for instance, some researchers in these labs kept the laboratory dogs as pets. Some disposed of animal carcasses casually because following the biosafety rules and cremating them costs a lot of money. Some cut up the laboratory pigs and took the meat home to eat. I know this happened at Beijing 301 Hospital Spine Surgery Lab. Worst of all, some laboratory animals were sold to wet markets as wild-caught animals for profit. Zhu Bao, a well-known IT magnate and billionaire in China, cited these reports and articles to support Wu's statement. Zhu and many other Chinese net citizens say they suspected that the the coronavirus leaked from the Wuhan laboratories. Along with this discussion that was all quickly suppressed and censored in China, there's the odd case of what happened to Huang Yang Li. She was a master's student at the BSL Biosafety Lab 3 Lab in Wuhan, so not the main one, but the laboratory with the lower safety standards, where according to a number of prominent international researchers, no one should have ever been doing research on COVID. This is the place where in June, 2019, hold on to your hats. So six months before we knew about the epidemic, this BSL 3 laboratory advertised a public contract to get rid of their hazardous waste that hazardous waste in the laboratory had been building up in the contract papers, it stated that there were two tons of hazardous waste as they hadn't disposed of any of it since 1994. This is the laboratory where Huang Yang was supposed to be of worked. On the Chinese version of the internet, social media, in February 2020, there was a rumor that she had been patient zero and that she had disappeared. There were angry denunciations from senior laboratory officials. They actually denied that she had worked in the lab for the last six years. Then internet sleuths discovered a photo of her at the lab three years after that. Then the officials denied that anyone at any of the laboratories had ever tested positive for COVID. And another internet sleuth pointed out that this was statistically so improbable, given the COVID infection rates in Wuhan in general, that it was either an obvious lie or a clear mistake. But whatever the truth, two things emerged from the Huang Yang Li case. One, the communist Chinese officials denied and delayed any discussion of Huang Yang Li. They never produced a live former research student or even a credible video interview of her. Two, the matter was investigated and taken relatively seriously by the US National Institute of Health. They tasked scientists to find out what had happened to this, quote, disappeared member of the Wuhan laboratory. And three, there were other Wuhan COVID scientists that have disappeared just as strangely. Now, look, there may, of course, be innocent explanations for all of those, although You would think, given the severity of the situation, it does seem odd that if they could, the Communist Party officials wouldn't simply show that these people were alive. Because the second case is Zhu Yusun. He was also a researcher in Wuhan. In fact, his name, according to Sherry Markson in this brilliant book, What Happened in Wuhan, his name is on the first anti-COVID vaccine ever patented in February 2020. But it seems he died three months later and there was no obituary. Look, let me just repeat that fact. So you can digest it. The communist Chinese, despite numerous examples of refusing to share information with the international community, had an early prototype of a vaccine ready in February 2020. Yet the researcher who discovered this vaccine was dead soon afterwards. And no communist official bothered to announce that fact. Here's another February 6, 2020 article. Again, around the same time as the epidemic is starting to spread across China. It's from two relatively prominent Chinese citizens, Drs. Bao Tao Zhao, who had just completed postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical School, and his wife, Dr. Lei Xiao. They write, or excuse me, they wrote, quote, The killer coronavirus probably emerged from a laboratory in Wuhan. And interestingly, these two well-connected scientists drew attention again to that BSL-3 laboratory in the city. Quote, it hosted animals in laboratories for research purposes, one of which was specialized in pathogens collection and identification. They also write that one of the researchers at that lab, quote, he was once attacked by bats and the blood of a bat shot on his skin. He knew the extreme danger of the infection, so he quarantined himself for 14 days. In another accident, he quarantined himself because bats peed on him. Again, the article disappeared within hours, and Dr. Zhao wrote to the Wall Street Journal a few weeks later claiming that the article was merely speculation. However, perhaps the greatest questions of this time february 2020 comes from the current great leader of the communist chinese the politician who's most pushed to be seen as maozi tongue xi jinping on february 14th 2020 so six weeks after taiwan had announced the impending t- pandemic the south china morning post based in the still relatively free hong kong wrote of a speech where xi jinping spoke of quote lessons learned shortcomings and leaking holes in china's management of biological materials and security systems xi jinping was doing so according to the south china morning post in a speech to promulgate a new biosafety law so all of this begs the question what were these lessons shortcomings and leaking holes that they discovered, no answer was ever given. Now, much of the above work is written about in two books. We had many, many sources, but I really want to reach out and recommend these two particular books. The first one is Shari Markson's Superb What Happened in Wuhan, and the equally interesting Viral The Search for the Origin of COVID 19 by Alina Chan and Matt Ridley. Strong recommendation for both of these books. In the next episode of the series, we'll look at how the nearest known virus to COVID-19 was found in the database of the Wuhan Institute, not by their own researchers, but by other independent researchers on the internet. They found that the Wuhan scientists had made mysterious changes, deletions, and reclassifications to the work. And we really want to emphasize the role of these independent international researchers. There's a dedicated team that will show you about that has done extraordinary non-funded work to uncover so much of what we know that went on in the Wuhan laboratories. We'll also examine the question of why the origins of the epidemic have not been properly investigated by the organization that's supposed to be in charge of controlling global disease, the World Health Organization, the WHO. And that's where it's going to get really shocking for anyone who, like myself, believed in the sanctity of international organizations. So please come back, listen. And in the meantime, if you've found this podcast and this series useful, please do recommend it to your friends. Pass it around, write comments, subscribe, take action. Because this is most probably the largest criminal cover-up of our times. And we need to be speaking, discussing, and debating it to make sure that it never happens again. Or if it isn't a criminal cover-up, what exactly happened in Wuhan. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.